All right, well, we're in Acts chapter 16 this morning. We've been doing this series uh, for a couple of months now on the uh, ministry of Paul, the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, sort of looking at a biographical study here, and I enjoy biographical studies. It helps us get a better picture, a clearer picture of people in Scripture, and I think it can be a real blessing to us. And we've been trying to study from his footsteps, learning what we can from his life and his ministry. And we know that Paul... Uh, he took every opportunity possible to proclaim the gospel. He was always looking for somebody to talk to. If Paul came into a group, if it was a large crowd of people, Paul was ready to preach the gospel. If Paul interacted with a family of people, he was ready to preach the gospel. And if Paul interacted with just one individual, he was ready to preach the gospel. Uh, He was looking, it didn't matter the size of the crowd, Paul wanted to get the gospel message of Jesus Christ to them. Uh, we've talked about this exact chapter where we're at this morning. We've been here. We are looking at the uh, conversion of the Philippian jailer. And I want to talk this morning about Paul the proclaimer. Uh, we talked about Paul the church planter and went through Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. And we looked at this founding at the church at Philippi. But I want to come back and look at it from a different angle this morning. We just kind of hit the highlights of Acts 16 the first time we went through it. And we talked about uh, the conversion of Lydia. We talked about the uh, interaction with the demon-possessed slave girl. We talked then about the Philippian jailer and how these people, along with others that weren't mentioned, these were the only three interactions that Luke recorded for us. But this was the beginning of the great church at Philippi that Paul founded. And so we're going to come back to it this morning and really kind of focus in on this story of Paul the Proclaimer and see what we can learn from it this morning uh, in Acts chapter 16. And we'll be in verses uh, 25 down through verse number 34. And this is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. Uh, Paul and Silas in the, in the jail at midnight. Now hopefully we'll never find ourselves in this situation. I will say that around the world, there are believers uh, that very well find themselves in the situation that Paul and Silas were in here as persecution of Christianity ramps up. Thankfully, in our country, that hasn't happened yet. But I believe as believers, we should be prepared for the possibility that someday we could endure the same sort of persecution and affliction that Paul went through. Uh, But thankfully, we haven't yet. And we may not find ourselves planting a church like Paul. But I think what we do find in our lives, just like Paul, is that we can have a testimony for the Lord, uh, just like Paul and Silas had. Uh, some of you have been joining with me as we've been listening to uh, Scott Polly's daily uh, devotional podcast, Enjoying the Journey, and he's been going through the book of Acts. And in the last couple of weeks, he's really focused in on the, our testimony. Uh, what is our testimony? How do you share your testimony? Well, that's, a, that's the story of who I was. Uh, before I met Jesus, and then what Jesus did in my life, and what Jesus means to me now. And we'll talk about some of the things about our testimony as we go through this this morning. But even though we may not find ourselves in prison like Paul and Silas, even though we may not be church planters like Paul, we will go through times, we will go through difficulties in life where it feels like sometimes we just get the wind knocked out of us. I mean, we talked about this weeks ago, as Paul, every city that he went to, when he would preach the gospel, people would get saved, the Lord would begin to do a work, and then what would immediately happen? Well, Satan would stir up the unbelievers, and there would be persecution, and there would be conflict, and there would be trials and difficulties and problems. Uh, It's a picture of the Christian life. We all experience that. It may be in different ways, but we're all going to have problems that we have to deal with. The question is, how do we respond to those difficulties and those trials? 
We should allow our testimony that God builds into our lives to be something that points back to Him, that creates opportunities for us to share and proclaim the gospel message. Now, I opened up social media first thing this morning, and uh, an evangelist friend of mine from Kansas, uh, pastored uh, in liberal Kansas for many years, uh, Bill Prater. I opened up social media, and the very first thing I saw were these words where he was talking about this exact passage that we're at this morning. And as I read what he wrote, I thought, man, his, his words serve as a perfect introduction for our lesson this morning. So let me just read to you what he wrote about this passage, and I think it's going to fit perfectly with where we're going this morning. Uh, Brother Prater wrote, On their first visit to Philippi, Paul and Silas were wrongly accused, severely beaten, put into stocks, and thrown in a prison cell. And as the story uh, goes in Acts 16, at midnight they were heard singing, Songs of praise to the very same God who'd let them go through what must have felt to them to be, like a, to be a Job-like day. That single day of suffering, coupled with the way two faith-driven men reacted to that suffering, created a church in Philippi that would help change the world. Paul and Silas teach us that when we're in the midst of suffering, we're also in the midst of an incredible opportunity to use that suffering for the good of others and for the glory of God. And that's really what we're going to focus on this morning, is how in the midst of suffering, we have an opportunity to be like Paul the Proclaimer, to share the gospel message uh, that will show our suffering uh, isn't just about us being in problems or conflict or how we can manage things, but it's all about pointing people back to the Lord. And so let's look at their testimony this morning. Uh, First of all, that's what we're going to talk about, the testimony of Paul and Silas. Sometimes in life we can kind of feel like we have the, uh, the rug pulled out from under us. We get knocked onto our back. We get that uh, conflict. We get difficulties. We get trials and problems. And it will kind of leave our lives turned upside down. I don't think Paul and Silas uh, really hoped that on their missionary journey that they would find themselves in prison. But this is where they're at. It reminds me of the story. Some of you probably heard it about Chippy the Parakeet. Anybody heard the story about Chippy the parakeet? I've heard this one several times. If you have, just pretend like you haven't. Uh, But Chippy, he never saw it coming. Uh, One minute, he was there in his cage. He's on his perch. Uh, He's just having a wonderful time. And the next minute, boom, the rug's pulled out from under him. He gets sucked up. He is uh, washed up. He's blown over. Well, what happened was uh, Chippy's owner decided to clean out the cage. And so his owner gets the vacuum cleaner, and she removes the attachment from the end of the hose, and she sticks it into the, into the cage, when all of a sudden she gets a text message. And that's when the problems for Chippy started. She turns over, and she reaches to grab her phone while the hose is in the cage, and the next thing that she hears is, and she looks, and Chippy's gone. I mean, Chippy's been sucked up into the vacuum cleaner. She throws her phone down. Oh, man, what's, we got to save Chippy. And so she goes to taking the vacuum cleaner apart. She uh, removes the attachment. She, she gets it uh, all torn down. She, she grabs Chippy, and she wonders, is he still alive? And, yeah, there he is. He's, he's still breathing, but, man, he's stunned. He's covered with dust. He's covered with soot. Then, I mean, everything that was in the vacuum cleaner, Chippy's been through it. And so she does the only thing she can think of. She grabs him out of there. 
She runs him to the bathroom, turns on the bathtub faucet full blast and sticks Chippy under it to wash him off. Oh my goodness. I mean, now Chippy's gone from one shock to the next shock. And then she realized, oh man, I've got Chippy soaked, cold water. We've got to do something to help Chippy. So she does the next best thing she can think of. And she grabs out the blow dryer, plugs it in, turns it on hot and full blast and hits Chippy with the blow dryer. A few days after the trauma, there was a reporter who heard about this and wrote about the story. And uh, she contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. She said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits and stares. Now, it's not really hard to see why Chippy just kind of sat and stared. Uh, we kind of relate with that. If we've been through things in life, if we've been through difficulties and problems, when we've been knocked down and we feel like we've been sucked into the vacuum cleaner and stuck under the faucet and had the hot air hit us in the face, uh, you can identify with Chippy this morning. You can identify with where Paul and Silas were. All of God's people uh, go through dark times in the world. and Life can be really tough. It can be rough. And we can be tempted to fall into discouragement. But God wants to guide us through the night seasons. Sometimes we sing that song, uh, God leads his children along in the night seasons and all the day long. God wants to guide us. He wants to help us through it. Uh, A man who was very well acquainted with discouragement and depression, one of the greatest preachers of all time, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. In fact, there's a, there's a wonderful book. If you struggle with depression, uh, there's a book written called Spurgeon's Sorrows that you can read, and you can read through the difficulties that Charles Spurgeon dealt with in his life. He's called the Prince of Preachers, uh, but he was, he was not safe from the problems of life. And here's what Spurgeon said. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes in the daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. Sometimes you'll be in the night. You'll be in that dark season, that difficult season. You find yourself, uh, you may not be in a prison cell just like Paul and Silas, but you're going through something. uh, And that's where we see the testimony that Paul and Silas provide. And they show us the model of what uh, we should do during our midnight hour. So look with me at verse number, uh, actually let's look at verse number 22. What has just happened? It says, and the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Well, they just delivered this demoniac girl, this slave girl. They just delivered her from that evil spirit. And her owners are upset about it because they just lost all of their money. They were using her to make money. I don't think this uh, this isn't the result that Paul and Silas would have hoped for. They've been commanded to be beaten. And then when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet, their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Notice first their prayer. Uh, what would most of us be doing at midnight? 
we'd usually be asleep, wouldn't we? We'd be asleep at midnight. Now, Paul and Silas, I think that they probably found it a little bit difficult to sleep. They've been beaten. They've had many stripes, it says, laid upon them. And then they're put into these stocks. As I was reading about the, the way that they would put them in their, their hands and their feet into stocks, they would twist their body into such a position. They would be in much pain and much discomfort, uh, not just from the way they were sitting, but through everything that they had already been through during the day. So they probably find it a little bit difficult to sleep at night. And they're in the inner prison, it says, how Matthew Henry describes it. He says it's a dungeon. Uh, He says it would be dark at noonday, damp, cold, dirty, in every way offensive. Uh, The inner prison, it was considered to be the place where the worst of the worst were put. That's where Paul and Silas find themselves. And a lot of times it would be easy, if we found ourselves in a situation like this, we could gripe, we could complain, we could give in to discouragement, but what did Paul and Silas do instead? They chose to pray. Sometimes, we said this a few weeks ago, sometimes we think that prayer will say to people, well, you know, I'll pray for you, that's the least I can do. But prayer is really not the least we can do, prayer is the most we can do. Whether it's for somebody else, whether it's for ourselves, praying is one of the first things we ought to do. And many times, it's one of our last resorts that we go to. We try to figure out how can I get out of these situations? How can I fix the problems? What can I do? All of these different things before we ever think about praying. We gripe, we complain, we curse the the people that's put us there. But maybe Paul and Silas, they couldn't find sleep, so they chose to pray. You ever had times at night when you feel like, man, I just can't go to sleep? Maybe that's a good time to pray. Let people start coming to your mind. Let the Lord start to uh, work in your heart. You just begin to pray and talk to God. Perhaps God's wanting you to draw near to him in prayer. Isn't that what the Bible says? He says, uh, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. In the book of James, the psalmist said, draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Uh, Deliver me because of mine enemies. How many times in the Gospels do we read through uh, the account in the life of Jesus when people had a problem, they wanted to get as close to Jesus as they could get because they knew the closer they got to him, they believed that he could answer their prayer. They wanted to be close to Jesus. And we know as believers, Jesus isn't physically here this morning, but we have the promise Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews, he says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can enter right into the throne room of God with your requests, with your petitions, uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, As believers, we need to be drawing nigh to God, don't we? We want to be close to God. I think Paul and Silas, they were the kind of men who were close to God. And they were helpless. There was nothing they could do about their situation was there. They were totally dependent on God right there. Many times I think that's, that's when God really likes to show up in our lives. When we feel like we're totally dependent on him and we realize that we can't do anything on our own, that's when God wants to show up because he wants to show himself powerful. Sometimes we sing that song with the kids, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And then we get to be adults and we kind of forget about that. And we think that we can get through things on our own. With the teens on Wednesday nights, we're talking right now with them about a lot of the big decisions that they got to make between uh, age 17 and 27, what we're calling the mistake zone, and all of these uh, things like college, dating, uh, marriage, children, jobs, cars, finances. There's a lot of big things that we got to decide 
at that young age? Why is it you think that God puts us right there in the middle of that area when we're young and immature and we really don't know how to make the best decisions? He throws us there and he puts all of those big decisions on us. Is it because God wants to, uh, you know, just kind of sit back and laugh at us? No. God puts us there so we realize how small we are, how weak we are, and how much we need to be dependent on him to help, us, to help guide us through that time of life. And so draw nigh to God. And at midnight, even though Paul and Silas, they couldn't sleep, they begin to pray. And that's the wonderful thing about God. He's never asleep either, is he? He's, he's listening. We sing that song a, a few times in the last year, a new song that we introduced to the church. Uh, he will keep you from Psalm chapter 121 where he says, uh, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God's always, God's always awake. He's always on call. He, he's ready for you to, to, to reach out to him. And we see him praying. And then we see them praising. Look at their praise. Uh, where we find prayer, we always find praise. They go hand in hand. Prayer and praise. As we begin to commune with God, we're going to be reminded of God's goodness as we think through the things. And we begin to pray and thank him for things in our lives. Prayer and praise go hand in hand together. Uh, we're just a, we're, we're not far away from that Thanksgiving season. You know, everybody likes to do the, the month of thankfulness or 30 days of thankfulness in November, and that's wonderful. But we ought to have praise in our lives continually all throughout the year, shouldn't we? Uh, the psalmist says, Thy statutes have been, my songs in the, uh, have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. In Psalm 77, verse 6, the psalmist says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. Paul and Silas in that midnight hour, they began praying, and then they began praising God in the darkest part of their experience. And there's probably stories that we could share this morning, either in your own life or somebody that you know, where in some of the most difficult and dark times of their lives, people have been able to praise God. How do we do that? It's not through our own power. It's not through our own strength. It's not through our own ability. Uh, those songs are only songs that come from God. The psalmist says in Psalm 107, verse number 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We think about Job. Bill Prater, the evangelist that we read earlier, uh, he mentioned Job, what does Job say? He says, God, my maker, who giveth songs in the night. Job went through a lot of problems. Job went through a lot of difficulties. And Job understood it was God who gave him the songs in that dark time of night. Now, it's easy, you know, we could stand up here this morning. We could sing the praise of the Razorbacks. I mean, they won yesterday. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, we don't win a whole lot, do we? Um, we could praise them. We could, we, we could talk about how wonderful the meals were that we had. I mean, we smoked a pork belly yesterday. We had pork belly burn in bites. Praise, uh, praise the Lord for that. Man, that's good. Uh, but we could talk about a vacation. We're getting ready. We're leaving next week to go to Colorado for several days. We could talk about how relaxing that's going to be and, and, and really give the praise about that. But God's really the one who deserves the praise, isn't he? About all the things we could talk about this morning, talking about... His goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. That'd be the best thing we could do this morning. Let's praise him. 
And then notice their practice. Uh, verse 25, what did it say there in verse number 25? It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. The prisoners heard them. Apparently, nobody else got any sleep that night either. Paul and Silas were so busy praying and praising God uh, that the rest of the prisoners were listening. I don't know, did God keep everybody else awake there as well? I don't know, he may have. He wanted them to see what's going on over here because something big's about to happen. And Paul and Silas, they prayed. They praised. And then suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Uh, Our actions, it reveals what's in our heart. Uh, Jesus said uh, in the book of Matthew, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. In the book of Proverbs, it says, uh, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it uh, are the issues of life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, What are we looking at here this morning? Well, a wise man will pay attention to what he's saying because our words have an impact on people. Now, Paul and Silas, they could have been over there in their chains, bound up, beaten, bloody, and bruised, and they could have been cursing the people who put them there. They could have been griping and complaining. They could have been uh, negative. They could have been talking about all the problems that they had faced. And all the prisoners would have heard that. But what did they choose to do instead? They chose to show great faith in a God. They knew that they were totally helpless, and so they prayed and they praised. And our words that we speak, it can be a helper, it can be a hindrance to people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Just as easy as you can draw people to the Lord, you can say things that will drive people away from God. You can can push people away where you don't have the opportunity to witness to them. I believe it's in the book of Psalms that says that there's, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. We have the ability to bring people to the Lord with the things that we say. We can build people up. We can tear people down. So we got to be careful with what we're saying. That's why David wrote in Psalm 141, he said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Uh, Keep the door of my lips. Sometimes, you know, we pray, God, help me know what to say. But we also should be praying, God, help me say the thing, not to say the things that I shouldn't say. Sometimes we need God to help us keep our mouth shut. And sometimes, especially when we find ourselves in situations like Paul and Silas are in, in the difficult times of life, it's really easy to say the wrong things, isn't it? We can, we can feel discouraged. We can feel defeated. Uh, that's when the devil really wants to attack. That's when he wants to bring us down so you can say the wrong thing. And we ought to say, God, set a watch uh, before my mouth. Uh, keep the door of my lips. David wrote in Psalm 71, verse 8, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. That's what our words should be. And so Paul and Silas, they're not just talking to God, uh, but then they speak up so that they can be a help to other people. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. 
But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Uh, it, was, it was a required capital punishment for these Roman jailers. If they lost their prisoners, it was their life. And so this earthquake happens, the doors fly open. He knows they're all gone. I mean, who in their right mind has the opportunity to run out of prison and don't leave? They just stay there. And so he's prepared to kill himself. But Paul stops him. He says, hey, we're all here. Don't hurt yourself. Now, I don't know. I think, again, probably a lot of us in our human uh, flesh, in our fleshly reaction, it would be, man, that'd be awesome if that dude, he's the, he's the one who's put us here. Uh, he may have even helped beat Paul in silence. I don't know. But we would have been hoping, yeah, let that guy fall dead. Then we can really get out of here. But that wasn't what Paul was thinking, was he? No, Paul was always looking at everything from a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective. And he knew this man, he doesn't need to die yet. He hasn't heard the gospel. And so Paul has something important to tell him. That's where we see the truth of the Lord next. Uh, And it's a simple truth found right in the scriptures. And there's an answer to every problem we have in life. Isn't it wonderful that God gave us a book to help us? Uh, We said he wants to guide us through our lives. He wants to get us through the difficult times. He gave us a book to do that. He didn't just leave us here. He gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, to come alongside us. Uh, we're, we're not going through life on our own. If you're a believer, you're not on your own. You've got the Holy Spirit of God. You've got His Word. But how many times do we fail to open up and look and find maybe the simple answer that God has for us is right there, but we didn't read it. And so we see, first of all, the truth of the uh, gospel that Paul's proclaiming. Every single place, every opportunity that he had, Paul was always looking to proclaim the truth of the Lord. Uh, And it began with a simple question. You see, Paul understood the transforming power of the gospel, maybe better than anybody, because who was Paul before he became a Christian? He was the guy putting Christians to death. He was the guy killing them. He knows how the gospel can change a life. And so we see this simple question Then he called for a light and sprang in and fell down, uh, trembling before Paul and Silas. Uh, Here's the jailer. He's fallen down in front of Paul and Silas. You'd think it'd be the other way around, that the prisoners would fall down in front of the, the jailer, but no. And he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, it's that's a really simple question, isn't it? What must I do to be saved? And the Question, all of eternity hinges on that question. What must I do to be saved? And making sure that you as an individual know the answer to that question. Making sure that our church knows the answer to that question. If a church doesn't know how to answer that question, uh, what are we doing? Because really in the end, nothing else matters. You remember Jesus said uh, a man could gain the whole world, but if he loses his own soul, in the end, nothing else matters. And so he asked a simple question. We don't really know a lot about the jailer up to this point, but he at least knew a good question to ask. And it was a very simple question. And you know what follows a simple question? A simple answer. A simple answer. Verse 31, and they said, 
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Uh, sometimes we complicate the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, it, it is really simple. Uh, Paul wrote the, the best definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's really not a matter of education or tradition. Everywhere that Paul went, he got down to this message. It's a matter of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a, it's a really simple message that, that we're taking to people. And I praise the Lord that it's simple. I know there's, there's some people that say, you know, you've got to do this and this and this. Man, if you had to follow all the steps that some people present to the gospel, uh, you'd, you'd really have to be a very educated individual to ever figure out how to become a Christian. But I, I praise the Lord that it was simple. You know, as a six-year-old boy, now I didn't know a lot of the I didn't know a lot of the stuff of the Bible. Six years old, but I was in church enough, and I heard enough of the Bible taught that I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that Jesus died for me, that He took my place, He took my punishment, and that if I would simply call on Him, He would save me. And I praise the Lord that at six years old, I did that. And I believe that Jesus saved me. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we reach kids. Uh, the older that we get and the more that we've learned and lived, there's a lot of things sometimes we have to undo in people's minds. There's a lot of questions we do have to answer for people to get them to the point of hearing the gospel because there's so many convoluted things that are out there in the world. But when you're young... You pretty much take the Bible at face value, don't you? Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. You can't go to heaven because of your sin, but he took your place on the cross. That's the simple message of the gospel. And the Bible says that when we speak the word of God, the prophet Isaiah said his word doesn't return void. In the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that the word of God, it's quick, it's powerful, it's like a two-edged sword. It'll do the work that it's supposed to do. And so, lastly, we see the transformation of the jailer. Because when somebody accepts the gospel, there's a transformation in their life. Some of you have incredible testimonies about how you were lost, you were out here in sin, you were doing all of these different things, and how God really transformed you. And that's an incredible testimony. I praise God that I never had to go out and do all of those things and experience all those things for God to change me. But you know what? There's still been a transformation that's taken place in my life just like it took place in your life. And I like how Scott Polly talked about our testimony in some of his recent devotional podcasts uh, that it's good to share our story, but we don't want to focus on us too long in our testimony because it's really not about us, is it? We want to, as soon as we can, get to the one who changed us. And just as important as who we were before we got saved in our testimony is who we are now after our salvation experience. What does Christ mean to us today? Uh, what has being a child of God done for me now? And that's important to share with people. 
And the Lord's worked in my life. And the Lord worked in the heart of this jailer. Verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. And when they had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Now here's the very man who put Paul and Silas in that inner prison, in that dungeon. And he's about to become an illustration of the power of the gospel. Just as much as Paul is an example of how transformative the gospel is, the Philippian jailer is too. What, what would Paul write to that church at Corinth? He said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The gospel transforms us. It changes us. And it should be our prayer that people, saved and lost alike, that they can see a difference in us. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus uh, that we should put off the old man and put on the new man. We're different. I heard a story about uh, John Wesley, uh, the famous preacher. And One night he had been preaching, and as he left the service, he was walking on his way home, and uh, he was robbed. And after the bandit had taken everything from him and was turning to walk away, uh, John Wesley, he calls out to him, he says, stop. He said, I have something to give you. And surprise, the robber turns around and looks at him and says, okay. He says, uh, what would you have else to give me? And he said, my friend, he said, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The thief turned around and hurried off down the road the opposite direction. Years later, John Wesley was preaching in another church. As he was greeting people after the service, a man walked by him and told him that he was the man who'd robbed him that night. And he said, you might be surprised to find out that I'm a successful businessman. And he said, I owe it all to you because I've been transformed. And John Wesley said, no, sir, my friend. Not to me, but to the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. That's who you owe it to. Uh, In our own strength and our own power, we don't have the power to transform anybody. We don't have the power to save anybody. All we can do is proclaim the gospel message and then allow Jesus Christ to transform the hearts of those that we give the message to. Notice about this jailer, his newfound faith. I mean, imagine that you were this guy. How could you help after you had seen Paul and Silas? After you had watched them praise the Lord and pray? After you had seen the the mighty earthquake of God opening the doors? And then you experienced the love and compassion from Paul and Silas. Again, these were guys that could have, you know, been rooting for your demise, but instead they showed you love and compassion. How could you not help but want what they had? And instead of taking the opportunity to escape, they stayed. And they saved his life. They told him how to be saved. And the faith of the jailer, it was evident to his family. And what was the first thing? He wanted Paul and Silas to go tell them the same message that he just heard. And as we said a few weeks ago, many times when you can reach the dad in the family, the rest of the family follows behind. And so dad got saved. They, the rest of the family hears about the gospel. And mom and the kids, they follow suit and they get saved. 
And then they obeyed. Uh, True faith always has obedience with it. They were baptized, they get saved, then they're baptized. And then notice his newfound love. Because it didn't take him long to figure out the gospel does something to us. And he begins to show love and compassion back to Paul and Silas. What did he do? He took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes. And when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them. Uh, Paul and Silas, they were in bad shape. They'd been beaten with many stripes, remember? This man may have been a participant in it. But now suddenly he cares about Paul and Silas' well-being. Isn't that one of the marks of being a, a Christian, that we show love and compassion to other people? That's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? And a lot of times, uh, the unsaved, and even carnal Christians, a lot of times we're always looking at, okay, if I help somebody, how can they help me in return? What do I get back from them? But that's not the attitude of this man. Uh, he just brings them in. He's not saying, you know, let's wait till morning. Let, let's do something to help Paul and Silas right now. And then... He set meat before him. Not just fruit, not just vegetables, but meat. He gave him the best of what he had. Uh, last Sunday, one of the things I talked about when I preached up at Mount Pleasant, we were in the book of Haggai chapter 1, and we talked about how the priorities of God's people had gotten out of place back then, how the foundation of the temple just sat there dormant for 16 years while the people of God went on about building their homes, their lives, their businesses, uh, and they forgot about the priorities of serving the Lord. And Haggai's message to him was, hey, stuff in your life's starting to go wrong. Uh, Haggai talked about how the more money that they made, the more that they spent, and he said it's like stuffing money into a bag with holes in it. It's sort of an interesting look at how inflation hit the people of Israel and some correlations between what they're going through and maybe some of the stuff our nation's going through. And is it possible that the people of God in America, we've gotten our priorities out of order, and we may be paying a price for it, just like the people of God were in the day of Haggai. But we talked about in that Haggai rebukes them, this message that God gives him. He says, is it time for you to live in your sealed houses, your paneled houses, your luxurious homes? You've put all of this nice stuff in your homes... But the church, you're not doing anything with it. The house of God, it's not being built. And you're so focused on building up your own wealth that you're not doing anything for the Lord. And we talked about how sometimes, you know, we may get new furniture, something like that. We say, I got to do something with my old furniture. I mean, I've, I've... I have personally seen these kinds of stories, and I've I've read about lots of things like this. People get stuff that say, you know what, Goodwill won't take it, it's so used, maybe I can give it to the church. Our clothes wear out, something like that, can't find anybody else to take it. Uh, You know, say, you know, hey, hey, preacher, you think maybe we could send some of these old clothes over to the missionaries? We want to give God secondhand stuff. For ourselves, we want the best. Well, the jailer, he wasn't trying to give Paul and Silas uh, seconds here. He's trying to treat them the best. He's trying to put them above and beyond. Uh, Paul would write in the book of Galatians, he says, We have therefore opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. There's going to be opportunities in your lives this week that you can be a blessing to somebody. You can go above and beyond to show love and compassion to them. We ought to be looking for those opportunities to demonstrate the love of God, especially to believers. 
And then unbelievers show compassion and love as well. And then notice his newfound joy. As the story comes to a close, what does it say? In verse number 34, it says uh, that he rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. A joy, that's what God wants in our lives. God wants to produce joy in our lives. Chad talked about uh, joy and happiness a couple weeks ago. A happiness is really dependent on our circumstances. Paul and Silas, what were their circumstances? They were in the middle of the prison. They're in a rough time in life. Our happiness is kind of like an emotional roller coaster. It goes up and down. Joy can be constant in our lives, even in the face of problems. That's why Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice as he wrote back to this church at Philippi. He says, you need to always be rejoicing in the Lord. He would tell the church at Thessalonica, rejoice evermore. God wants there to be joy in your life, even in dark times, even in difficult times. You can have joy because God's the one writing the story. And God will be the one who gives you the song in the night. So many times we want to complain about things in life. But it's really in those dark times when we're going through difficulties and problems that if we can sing the songs in the night, if we can give praise to God in the difficulties and the problems and the persecution, sometimes we may have more opportunity to be a witness for God in the difficult times than we do when we're in experiences of life. When everything's going great, it's easy to praise God. What about when you're down in the valley? When it's difficult. If you can praise God then, if you can keep your faith then, if you can still point people back to God then, we can really make a difference. So what do we learn from the example of Paul and Silas? Well, there's a lot of things. Uh, when somebody mistreats us, how do we respond? Do we grumble? Do we complain? Do we murmur? Or do we praise? Do we pray? Are we looking for ways to witness? Uh, are others that are around us, are they able to see that we're new creatures in Christ? That's our testimony. The, our conversation, Paul would write, our manner of life, the way that we live. Can people look at us and see that we're different? We should stand out. We ought to look different. And then we ought to be demonstrating faith and love and joy. Uh, Paul would write about the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all of those things. The Lord should be producing that in our lives. And He can produce fruit in our lives even in the dark times. And in the dark times, we can be a proclaimer just like Paul and a testimony, not about us, but about God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to study in this passage this morning from the Philippian jailer. Lord, I pray that we would take some of what we've heard and put it into practice in our lives this week. Lord, that we would have opportunities, that we'd be looking on purpose with gospel intentionality for ways to proclaim the gospel uh, to people this week, uh, for ways that we can show love and kindness to those that we interact with. God, give us opportunities to be a light and witness for you. We pray that you'd meet with us in this morning service. Help us to lift up our voices in praise to you uh, out of hearts of love and gratitude as we sing. Uh, songs of your faithfulness and goodness this morning. Open our hearts and our minds ready to receive the preaching of the word of God. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other, Lord, this morning, but help it to actually uh, make life change happen. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, you want to do a work in our lives. You want to help us experience revival. Lord, so I pray that this morning you'd let it begin in each of our hearts. We'll give you the honor and the glory and praise for all that's done here today. In Jesus' name.
Amen.